that. Leviticus chapter number 17 and, and verse number 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood. Everybody say the blood. That maketh an atonement for the soul. Skip with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 22. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 22. And if your fingers are slow to get there, don't worry because the media guy's fingers are faster than yours. And so the scripture's on the screen and it says, but I must die in this land. I must die in this land. I must not go over Jordan. This is Moses talking here, and he says, but I must die in this land. So tonight, for the next few moments, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I'd like to preach the first night of this missions conference. I must die in this land. I must die in this land. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word that is already anointed, and we just pray that you would anoint our ears to hear it and our hearts to receive it. God, I pray that you would also, God, that you would not let us quickly forget what we hear and experience this week at this missions conference. Oh, but God, put something in our hearts and remind us when we forget and become complacent until what we hear becomes what we do. In Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. Thank you for standing for so long. You may be seated tonight. I must die in this land. In our text from Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, and he is letting them know that he must pay the ultimate price so that they can cross over into Jordan. He says, I must die in this land. Now, what you have to understand about this Old Testament text in Deuteronomy is that it is a type and shadow of what Jesus would do in the New Testament. And, and so when you look at the characters and the events in Exodus and, and in Deuteronomy, it's, it's given us a preview of what Christ is and what Christ would do. It's setting the picture for what the Messiah would do when he stepped on the scene. And so when you see the children of Israel, you're getting a picture of the church, a shadow of the church. Egypt is a shadow of sin. Pharaoh is a shadow of Satan. This is why Pharaoh does not want the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and Satan doesn't want you to come out of your sin. The Passover in which they would take the blood of an innocent lamb and they would apply it to a wooden doorpost is just a shadow of another innocent lamb. But his blood would not be placed on a wooden doorpost but his blood would be put on a wooden cross. And that cross becomes the doorpost for your life. And for your salvation. And this is why Jesus said, I am the door. Because when the blood was applied at Calvary, the door of salvation becomes available to people like you and to people like me. Is anybody thankful for the blood of Jesus tonight? Are you thankful for the blood that washed your sins away? Are you thankful for the blood that washes away the sins of, of, of mankind? And since it's a mission service, and since I'm a missionary, I might as well just preach the gospel 
if there's sinners in the house tonight for a minute. Because if you're here tonight and if you're far from God, you need to know. And if you're here tonight and you're not where you used to be with God, you need to be reminded that you are only one repentant prayer away from the blood of Jesus Christ. That you are just one prayer, just one repentant prayer can blot out a lifetime of iniquity. Just one repentant prayer can turn a lifetime of sin into a lifetime of promise. You say, but I've got sin and I've got mistakes and I've got a past and I've got trouble, but hear me tonight that that's just the enemy that wants you to live in guilt and shame and doubt and fear. But it is Jesus who has overcome. And if you can just get to Jesus tonight, if you can just be in Christ tonight, there is therefore now no condemnation. And the sin that you thought would destroy you, it doesn't need to be the nail in your coffin because he already nailed it to a cross. Come on, somebody ought to be thankful tonight that your relationship with with God is not hanging on by a thread, but he already hung on a cross. He paid it all for you. He shed his blood for you. He conquered sin and death for you. You have his blood tonight. You have the blood of Jesus, the wonder-working power of the blood of Jesus. And you're just one prayer. You're just one prayer. Come on, if you've fallen and if you've strayed and if you're not where you need to be tonight, you're just one drop of blood away. It's just one drop of blood. Because his blood, like that song says, is not just blood of another spotless lamb. It's precious blood. It washed the stains of man. We must have been about 12 months into our church planting journey and we were having service in a community center, which we are very thankful for. We started in our living room, and I don't recommend that. <laughs> but that was, uh, that was the path that God had for us. Trust me, uh, we tried to do everything the right way, Brother Johns. Trust me when I tell you that. We tried to follow this model and that model, and we read this book, and we read that book, and we tried to go in fully funded. We tried to go in with a team. And uh, I, I'll never forget, we had a couple of young couples that were very excited about joining us until they began to look at rent prices in a place like L.A. And they figured out very quickly that it was, it was, much, uh, it was much easier to stay where they were, amen, than to venture out and pay $2,100 $2, for a studio apartment. And so we really did try to raise a team and try to do all of this. But at the end of the day, we just felt called to go. And so... We just took a step of faith, and we started having Bible studies in our living room. And, uh, and, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't long before we found a community center, and we started having services in the community center. We maybe were a year in, and we were having church. And I noticed that a lady walked in through the back. And I can't remember exactly the song that we were singing, but the Spirit of God was moving. And this lady lifted up her hands and she began to weep. And I went back and I began to pray with her. And uh, I just began to talk to her and tell her that God loved her. God had a plan for her life. And she looked at me and her name was Maggie. And she said, Pastor, she said, I'm too dirty for Jesus. And she began to tell me in detail all the sin in her life. Three decades spent on substance abuse. 
Three decades spent on the streets. I'm too dirty for Jesus. And I just looked at her and I said, Maggie, if I believe what my Bible says, then I've just got to tell you tonight that the blood of Jesus is strong enough to wash your dirt away. And if you would just lift your hands to heaven, and if you would just lift your spirit to the Lord, and if you would just give your heart to God tonight, I'm believing that he's going to fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it wasn't but just a few seconds later that Maggie lifted her hands, and she lifted her voice, and she opened her mouth, and God began to fill her with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you something. I just need to remind somebody. The blood of Jesus is still stronger than the dirt in your life. There's a reason why blood stains are still so hard to get rid of. Blood stains are stronger than mud stains. God's not afraid of the dirt in your life. God's not afraid of the sin and the mistakes in your life. God's not afraid of the dirt of the sinners of this city because that can wash away. But his blood is here to stay because blood is resilient and blood is sticky and blood gets into the fiber and into the fabric and it never... Have you ever tried to wash a blood stain off? You can wash some dirt off. Just give me a little bit of Tide. If you can't afford Tide, just a little bit of gain. Man, give me even the Walmart brand. You can wash some, you can wash some dirt away. But you ever try to wash a blood stain off? You ain't never getting that out. Let me tell you something. The blood of Jesus lasts longer than our mistakes. Your dirt can wash away one repentant prayer. One moment in an altar call, but the blood of Jesus lasts longer than your failures. The blood of Jesus lasts longer than your sins. Oh, thank God for the blood tonight. Thank God that it's his blood that heals my body and it sets my spirit free. And I'm so glad his precious blood still flows from Calvary. Oh, thank God that there is still power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. I'm thankful for the blood. So the, so the Passover is a shadow of Calvary. It's the blood. The Red Sea becomes a shadow of baptism because it says the old me is left in Egypt and the new me has come through the water. Amen. I'm a new creature and my sins are left buried back in Egypt. And by the way, the Bible says that when the children of Israel got to the other side of the Red Sea that they erupted in praise. This to me is how you can tell the free people in a church. This to me is how you can tell the people who have not so quickly forgotten what God has brought them out of and what God has saved them from and where they could be and where they should be and what they used to be because the Bible says when they got to the other side of the Red Sea for the DJ, they erupted in praise. They didn't need five choir songs and a preacher pumping them up for 45 minutes to get them to move. No, they just remembered, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus... I once re- I once was bound in Egypt, but I've been through the water and I've been through the blood. And thank God I'm not what I used to be. I should be lost. I should be dead. I should be in slavery. I should be in sin. And when I think about what I could have been and when I think about what I should have been, I can't help but praise him for bringing me out. Thank God. When you see Moses in this story, Moses becomes a shadow of Christ because he was born to bring about the salvation 
and the deliver, deliverance and the freedom for God's people. He was merely a shadow of which Christ was the reality. And this is important to understand this typology tonight because when you read the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 4 and you understand the shadow of which Moses is, where he says, I must die in this land. It adds weight to the magnitude of this statement. I I must die in this wilderness so somebody else can enter into their promise. And you have to understand the context leading up to this faithful statement by Moses. The context of which was so clearly communicated in the previous verses in Deuteronomy 4 where Moses says that God was angry and that sacrifice was required, and that Moses would have to die in that place in order for those people to enter promise. And somebody was required to die as destitute so others could live in destiny. And when you look at the shadow of Moses, and you look at Christ on Calvary, when Jesus said, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. If you're willing, he prayed all night long. He prayed until he bled. Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Father, if you're willing, if there's any scenario in your plan that doesn't involve me having to die here, amen, if you're willing, but nevertheless, I will die in this land so somebody else can live. And Moses died in his wilderness, and Jesus died on the cross, and it was also hopeless people could experience hope and it was also helpless people could experience help and it was also lifeless people could experience life and it helps you understand the gravity of this statement I must die in this land this was the same Moses after all that in Exodus 32 says Lord if you won't forgive my people of their sins Go ahead and blot my name from your book. This was the same Moses that the psalmist said stood in the gap and turned back the wrath of God. He stood in the gap. He put his life on the line for a bunch of crazy people. Read the Old Testament. Read the Exodus story sometime. The ups and the downs of these people. These people who are in one moment are shouting on the banks of the Red Sea, dancing on the banks of the Red Sea, and the next moment are clamoring for the leeks and the garlic in Egypt. Moses puts his life on the line for a bunch of broken people, for a bunch of inconsistent people, for a bunch of fickle, carnal people. Moses sounds like a pastor. Not of this church, though. Moses sounds like a church planter. I certainly don't come here tonight with any God complex, but I have a burden, and I feel a directive for some missions-minded members of Atlanta West Pentecostal Church tonight to let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And I'm preaching tonight a burden in the belief that you will walk out of this very service with a renewed vision and a refreshed burden, echoing the words of Moses in this generation 
in this city, in this church. I must die in this land. I must die in this mission field. I must die in this city so somebody in my city can be saved. I must die in this land so there may be an apostolic church in our future. I must die in this land so there can be a soul-saving station in Atlanta. I must die in this land so that some fickle, carnal, messed up, inconsistent people in my world can get to the promised land. I must lay down my life in this field. I must sacrifice of myself in this field. I must give everything I have to give to this field. I must die in this land so my family can be saved. I must die in this land so my friends can be saved. I must die in this land so my church can have revival. I've got to die here. I've got to sacrifice here. I've got to bleed here. Because I've got to have a commitment to this field to the degree that I am content to pour out everything I have in an unforgiving land. I must die in this land. I'm not seeking comfort. I'm not seeking notoriety. I'm not seeking opportunities. I'm not seeking money. I'm not seeking a crowd. I'm not seeking notoriety. I'm just seeking a land that I can die in. I'm just seeking a field that I can bleed in. I'm just seeking some sinners that we can pour into. We've got to die in this land. And I know how it is at missions conferences. Sometimes you'll leave here and you feel like God's calling you to some foreign land. God's calling you to that. And if that's the truth, and I celebrate that with you, and we'll get behind you, we'll give you a PIM, we'll support you, and we'll pray for you. But I don't believe that that's my directive tonight. I'm not preaching that Somebody leaves here in this place and says, I'm called to Africa. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching so somebody leaves this place and says, I'm called to Atlanta. Somebody leaves this place and says, I'm willing to pour out everything that I have into this mission field, into this city, this year, right now. I'm willing to die here. I'm willing to sacrifice here. His name is James Harrison. He is known in Australia as the man with the golden arm. And every single week for the past 60 years, James Harrison has donated blood plasma from his right arm. Every single week for 60 years. After his first blood donation in 1955, Harrison got a call from the doctors. They told him that his blood could be the answer to a very deadly problem. You see, at this time in Australia... There were literally thousands of babies dying each year from a deadly condition that had no cure. Women were having numerous miscarriages and babies were being born with brain damage. It was the result of rhesus disease, a condition where a pregnant woman's blood will actually aggressively attack her unborn baby's blood cells. In worst cases, it can result in severe brain damage and ultimately death for the baby. Harrison was discovered to have an antibody which was unusual in his blood. He worked with the doctors to use the antibodies in his blood to develop an injection that they simply called anti-D. This antibody totally prevents this condition. Harrison's blood is precious. He and his anti-D 
are credited with saving the lives of more than 2 million babies. 2 million babies. This was a story, Brother John, so unbelievable. I had to fact check it. It was reported by several major news outlets. I didn't want to be this to be one of these stories that you just hear and, and, and it's repeated like it's fact when it's really fake news. This is not fake news. His blood saved the lives of two million babies. In explaining his mission to save millions of lives, Harrison tells a story about having a traumatic accident as a kid at the age of 14. He required a lung transplant. And during this procedure, he nearly died from blood loss. Doctors performed a life-saving blood transfusion. His life was saved by the blood of another. So when he is asked why, Mr. Harrison, why would you give your blood every single week for 60 years? He simply replies, I give my blood because somebody gave their blood to me. I give my blood because somebody gave their blood to me. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room tonight because this is probably the best answer to the question of missions that I've ever heard in my life. Why do you spend your life on a mission field? Because somebody gave their blood to me. Why do you pour out your blood, sweat, and tears into that little church plant? Because somebody gave their blood to me. Why would you take your family and forsake the comforts and salaries and securities to plant a church in a crazy city because somebody gave their blood to me why do you give to missions conference Atlanta West why do you invest in missions why do you give and why do you pledge and why do you raise missions offerings why because somebody gave their blood to us so we must die in this land tell you we've been asked this many times LA is a crazy place it's full of depravity it's full of Hollywood and why would you go there I've had to answer re-answer that question three times over the course of the last year or so as we face things and at our lowest point three times better offers came and I'm only saying this This isn't a pity story. I'm only telling you this to tell you that I've had to answer this question of missions again for myself three times in the last year or so. Why? Pour out your blood, sweat, and tears in an unforgiving land. This isn't a sob story. I hate sob stories. We're not some poor little home missions church. Please don't put that label on me. I wholeheartedly reject that. God's raising up a powerful church in Los Angeles. I'm thankful for what God is doing. Let me tell you something. This is my first time here in this church. And and, and I I love this church already. This is a great church. And I've long admired and respected your pastor and his family and their teams. This is one of the most well-known churches in our movement. So 
Please don't take this the wrong way, Pastor Jones. But to me, the greatest churches in our fellowship are the churches of 100 people, the churches of 50 people, the churches of 10 people. Why? Because the Bible says, if there be 10 righteous, I will spare Sodom. Just 10. So I, I, I'm thankful for great churches like Atlanta West. I admire and I respect. I've been picking your pastor's brain all day, asking him questions. But I'm also thankful for the church planners and our movement that are staring down Jericho's walls with little more than a shout and a trumpet. Because if there just be ten righteous... Brother Johns, we can turn Hollywood around. If there just be 10 righteous, we can reach Los Angeles. If there just be 10 righteous, I want more than 10. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complacent with little church. I'm not complacent with tiny church. But I believe just a few people, just a handful of committed disciples in an unforgiving field with enough faith in their God and enough belief in his word. And we can turn this world upside down. Because Moses was willing to die in the wilderness. Millions of Israelites got to see a promised land. I give my blood because somebody gave their blood to me. C.T. Studd was a famous British cricket player in the 1880s. He loved to drink, and he loved to brawl. But one day, he had a Damascus Road experience, had a Pentecostal revival in northern England. That very day, God called him to the mission field. And he walked away from a very lucrative career, and he became a missionary to China, and then later in his life to Africa. Maybe you've never heard of C.T. Studd, But you've no doubt heard one of his poems. Only one life. And so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And if you recognize that poem, it's probably because it was made famous in Pentecost by a worship chorus many years ago. I grew up responding to altar calls with that worship chorus. Only one life. Only what's done for Christ. In his book, The Lost Chord of Christianity, Stud makes a statement that has stuck with me through our church planting journey. He wrote, The romance of a missionary is often made up of monotony and drudgery. There's no glamour in it. So don't go into a mission field as an experiment that is dangerous and that is useless. Only go if you feel you would rather die than not go. Don't go if you want to make a great name for yourself. Only go if you feel there is no greater honor after living for Christ than to give your life for Him. I give my blood because somebody gave their blood to me. C.T. Studd practiced what he preached. He could have had a more lucrative career in ministry, but because somebody gave their blood to him, he poured out his blood in a mission field. When he was on the mission field in China, God spoke to him and said, I want you to give all your money away 
So he took every dime he had, 29,000 pounds, which at the time would be about $1.1 million, and he gave it all away to different missions and different orphanages around the world because somebody gave their blood for him. He spent his life, he spent his blood, sweat, and tears reaching the masses in China. Later in his ministry, he would meet another missionary named Carl Kuhn. Carl told him about the mission, the, the millions in Africa who had not heard the gospel, and because somebody gave their blood for him Stud left China and against the advice of his doctors he moved to the Sudan and then he went into the Congo and he reached the masses in Africa see he didn't just preach whosoever loses his life for my sake uh, but he lived it better yet I should say he died it his sacrifices were of biblical proportion his wife would die from illnesses contracted in the Congo mission his daughter would move to the Congo to help out her father and her one year old son would die from an illness in the Congo he was buried in the Congo Stud himself would take his last breath at 70 years old penniless and frail in third world conditions in the middle of an African jungle no fame no glory no riches no comforts but because somebody gave their blood for him. Millions upon millions have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. One man's blood poured out in that field for the saving of millions of hopeless people all because he recognized that somebody gave their blood to me. Every time I hear stories about missionaries like C.T. Studd, I'm reminded of Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives even unto death. They love not their lives. They died in this land. They died in this land. From Moses in the old to Christ in the New Testament, they died in this land. That's what Naboth did. He died in this land. He gave up everything so his field could be saved. He stood against wickedness and refused to leave his field. His blood was shed. He refused to give up his field. He died in this land. And when he died, God gave Elijah a word. And Elijah, his word, would bring around the death of Ahab. And a godly king named Jehoshaphat, a man would rise up. Naboth died in that land. That's what James did. James died in this land. James died at the hand of Herod. But it doesn't end there. The Bible says that when Herod saw that James' death pleased the Jews, that he pursued Peter to kill Peter. So he throws Peter in a prison. Amen. But the angel comes and breaks Peter's chains. And then Peter goes to Mary's house. And when the church saw that God had delivered Peter from the hands of Herod, the church exploded. And Herod was struck dead by God. And Herod tried to kill it. But verse number 24 of Acts 12 says that the word of God grew and the word of God multiplied because of this. But it started with a James who was willing to die in this land. That's what John the Baptist did. 
He died in this land. He gave up everything so Christ could be glorified. He lived on locust and honey so Christ could be glorified. He sat in a prison cell alone and was executed so Christ could be glorified. His other peers got the recognition. He got beheaded. He died in this land. That's what Stephen did. Stephen died in this land. He gave his life. He shed his blood. God was able to raise up somebody like a Paul who could reach the masses and millions were saved because there was a Stephen. Maybe God's not calling you tonight, Atlanta West, to go. Maybe God's not calling you to plant a church. Maybe God's not calling you to go to the mission field in some foreign country. Maybe God's just calling you to come to an altar tonight and commit to die in this field. Commit to die in this land. Commit to sacrifice for the kingdom of God right here. This is your mission field. And we get excited about missions that are across the seas. But what about the missions that are across the street? We weep for the nations. We weep for the countries across the, across the globe. But, 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 but what about the co-worker across the cubicle? Maybe God's not calling you tonight to go to some foreign country. Maybe just maybe as our musicians are coming, that God is just calling this church to come to an altar tonight and just make some fresh commitments to the mission field. Maybe just make some fresh commitments, amen, to get out and to win some souls. Maybe just make some fresh commitments, amen, to teach some Bible studies. Maybe just make some fresh commitments, young people, amen, to start a P7 Bible. Maybe God's not calling you to Africa. Maybe he's calling you to Atlanta to die in this field, to pour yourself out in this land. Why don't we stand all across this place for the Holy Ghost is beginning to speak to somebody's heart right now. God is speaking to somebody in this house. God's putting a heartbeat inside of you for missions. And maybe you didn't know how all that's going to work. Some of us, sometimes we get afraid when when God starts speaking missions into our spirit. Oh God, don't send me to Africa. Oh God, don't send me to L.A. God, don't send me there. I don't believe that's the directive from the Holy Spirit tonight. I believe the directive from the Holy Spirit is just a simple one. Just to commit to this mission field. This is your mission field. This is where your blood needs to be poured out. This is where your sweat and your tears need to be poured out. This is where your dollars need to be poured out. This is where your sacrifice needs to be poured out. This is where your time needs to be poured out. Maybe for some of you, your mission is to give more time to the house of God this year. And make sure your kids are here every week. This is your mission field. Will you die in this land? Will you die in this land? Will you commit to this field? Will you commit to reaching your world? Come on, let's partner together. Let's reach the world together. I love the kingdom of God. I love being a part of something bigger than myself. 
I love being a part of a, a great organization that, that bleeds missions. I love linking up with churches like this. And, and let's reach the world together, Atlanta West. Let's, let's make an impact on all corners of the globe together. But tonight, I believe that the Spirit's speaking to some of you. Amen. Just to come to this altar. And just, it's not even about global missions right now. It's just about your street. It's not even about the country across the sea. But it's about that door across the street tonight. You're just committing to die in this land. You're just committing to die in this field. You're just committing to sacrifice and pour out of yourself. In this missions conference, God's going to speak to you. God's going to challenge you to do something bigger than you. Will you do it? Will you die in this land? So others can receive the message. Will you die in this land? so that somebody else might be saved. Moses, are you willing to die here so somebody else might get to their promise? These altars are open for somebody that wants to come on a Wednesday night and commit on this Wednesday night service, this first night of missions conference. God, I'm going to pour myself out in this field. I'm going to pour myself out in this land. God's calling you to sacrifice some of your time. Start a Bible study with that co-worker. God's calling you to pour out more of yourself. Make an impact in the lives of your neighbors. That you pass in the morning in your busyness. God's calling you to commit, to sacrifice. Pour out your blood, your sweat, your tears this land, in this place. Come on, Atlanta West, will you die in this land so this church can plant more churches in a great city, in a great metro like Atlanta. Come on, we need more churches in Atlanta. We need God to raise up more church planters. We've got to die in this land. We've got to pour ourselves out in this